Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, Devin, how is the week I lost track of how long we've been home now. <laughs> <laughs> this is week eight, and I know because I have a, a, I'm etching it on the wall next to my desk, so I don't lose <laughs> complete sanity here. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's going well. It, it's going as well. I, you know, people are saying, "How's it going?" I say, "You know, things are going well, all things considered." Can't complain. So while you've been home, if you had to pick your like top three tools that you rely on to stay productive um, during this time, what would those be? My mind jumped to, it's not a tool, but it is help. And I don't know if it's actually making me productive, but words with friends uh, is, is now my new break. I've kind of shifted a little less away from, uh, from Instagram and I'm now on words with friends a lot. So if you okay. want to add me on learn, words with friends, I'm learn to read, R-E-E-D, couldn't help refrain from the pun. I but, love that. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the tools that I'm actually using to get work done, I would say, I mean, aside from like, you know, the G Suite, we all use Gmail and email. I would say, actually, I've been relying heavily on that. I'm going to take that back. We've been using uh, Google Docs for content and editing more than before since we're not in meetings as much. So I'd say like the G Suite actually has been clutch. Um, I'm using Gong a lot, but I don't want to do a plug for Gong. So I'll say Evernote has been big for me, uh, just keeping track of everything. And in terms of keeping in touch with the team, including you, Sheena, I would say Slack. Slack is, is, has been clutch. And as I open Slack right now, I have three unread direct messages and a few channels that are calling my name. Right now, my red bubble, the alert on top of Slack says 42. So I'm a little oh. bit nervous to open it up. But after this, I will do that and catch back up on everything. Um, but I think it has been super critical um, to engage with folks. At Gong, we've been using this integration called Donut, which helps set up random conversations with folks, depending on which channel you're in. So that's been a fun thing that we've been trying out here um, at Gong as well. Yes, the Donut feature is fun. I get asked, I guess, to get donuts. I'm not sure what the ask is, but it's like, yeah, you've been connected with this person. So that's been nice. The other Slack hack, I, don't, I doubt it. I'm sure some people listening are like, God, everyone knows you can do this. But Danny on our team showed me that, you know, every time someone says at here on a channel, you, you get that alert and you think you need to jump to it, but it's like, doesn't really apply to you. So, so there's a little feature in the top that you can uncheck. So when people say at here or at all, you don't get that direct, that direct uh, notification. So I've been using that and that's been helping me, you know, focus on the right messages that, you know, I need to need to apply to now. And, and speaking of Slack, today we have Danny Herzberg, who's the Senior Director of Sales at Slack. We had a really great conversation with her a couple weeks back um, on all things related to how she's, you know, running her team, remote work, uh, being a parent in this environment. Uh, so I think it's a, a really 
great conversation that you're about to hear now. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. One of my favorite takeaways was how she said, um, she was talking about her culture for her team. And she said, you know, it, it should be changing right now. Like if you've gone from the office to working from home, uh, it definitely shouldn't go away. It should just evolve, right? Culture evolves mm-hmm. month over month, year over year when you're in the office. And it's no different now that we're working remotely, which was kind of, uh, it was kind of eye-opening for me. And it was interesting as I kind of looked at our team and my team and saying like, hey, what are the things that have kind of stayed? And what are the things that have changed both for the better and the worse, right? And just kind of like looking through it through that lens. Um, and this has been really nice hearing how you know, the team at Slack uses Slack to keep in touch and keep their culture going. Well, with that, here's Danny. Hello, Danny. How are you doing today? Hi, Sheena. I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm thrilled to actually end the week. This, today's a Friday um, with this conversation. I think being at home, it's always nice to connect with somebody outside of my home <laughs> and have a really nice conversation. So we're both thrilled to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Likewise. So I know you've been you know, busy at home, working from home, being a parent at home these days. Um, would love to know if there's anything uh, that's been keeping you particularly busy or anything that you've added to your daily routine since you've been working from home? Yes. Um, man, well, I think you hinted at it. The parent thing is new to me, and that's been keeping me quite busy in a way that um, that is in many ways welcome and uh, a juggling act. So my husband, Jake, and I have an eight-month-old daughter, Sadie, who's kept us busy. And I think from her perspective, she is blissfully ignorant of everything happening in the world. Mm -hmm. So there are some silver linings to it. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm sure she's thrilled to see both of you at home all the time and get some extra mommy and daddy time. Um, So uh, there's, there definitely is that the plus side to look at uh, in every situation. And tell us a little bit about your work from home setup. Have you done anything to make your working environment comfortable or effective? Yeah, we have, um, we have a good setup. We finally settled into our routine. So um, each family member gets a different part of the house. Jake is upstairs with a standing desk. Um, Sadie, who rules the home, gets the living room and kitchen. And everyone gets their own Sonos streaming um, in their little domain or floor. So I'm downstairs in the guest room by the garden. Uh, getting my own music choices and, and my own privacy, which is nice. I have to ask, what is on that Sonos music choice of yours? Man, depends on the time of the day and uh, and the energy I'm looking for. But I cycle through Buena Vista Social Club, that album, over and over, which I've been listening to since childhood. Um, Gypsy Jazz, towards the end of the day, which is kind of like wind down mode. And then Pump Up is Hamilton soundtrack on repeat. Ah, nice. Nice. I, I, I was going to dig in for the pump up. I'm always interested in how people get pumped up. The most shocking one is our own Chris Orlob loves Britney Spears. That's his go-to. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you oh, ask these questions. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. Well, diving into, you know, your career a little bit, you know, a, a quick highlight of your career for, for listeners, you know, you started in management consulting got your MBA from Stanford, joined HubSpot when there were just 100 employees, helping them IPO. If you look back on your very impressive career, what did it take to get you to where you are today? What would you kind of credit that to? Thank you for that statement. That's really nice. And isn't it funny how we look back in hindsight and suddenly it seems like 
it all makes sense and it was all super intentional. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say that that was the case. I think there are two big factors that I've woven through my career of themes and that have really helped. Um, and one is a sense of gratitude. And the other I've developed over time, and I think will serve everyone well in their career, which is cultivating some sort of distinctive sense of self-awareness. Um, and I can dig into what I mean by each of those. Like in, in my case, I started my career in management consulting and I very quickly learned that I am inherently a social creature. I am not born and wired to sit alone in an office and build PowerPoint decks and Excel models without interacting with people. And so I very quickly realized like I thrive in a context of collaboration, talking to people, communicating. And so when I ended up at HubSpot, I was so grateful to be at that company and in that role that I just held on for dear life and really wanted to over deliver whatever that meant. Um, and I think it was a really good thing that I had no prior track record of success. Like basically I had no reason to be particularly confident in that role. And I felt so utterly lucky to get a job in sales at a company that I admired, that I was very motivated to work hard and give myself a chance to, to prove myself and keep the job. That gratitude kind of coupled with a chip on my shoulder really helped propel me um, in the early days. And it's something that I constantly come back to in every single role that I'm in, um, which tends to be one that feels like, you know, a comfortably uncomfortable stretch for me. The self-awareness one, you don't get from the get-go, um, but I think it's really helpful to start learning where do you thrive, what makes you happy. In an ideal world, what makes you energized that isn't the obvious path for everyone else? So, for example, had I known um, that I shouldn't enter management consulting after graduating Penn, um, like I, I basically followed the herds and thought this is a place where I can build a career and I should be building PowerPoint decks and I should be doing um, Excel models in my sleep. And then as soon as I discovered sales, which is not what anyone is encouraged to do coming out of the Ivy League, I realized that I could just get paid to ask people questions and listen and help build a company. And that felt really, really good. So I've kind of like leaned into that over time and at HubSpot, it's a very SMB oriented company. That's where the company had product market fit. So I went into enterprise, which is the less popular place uh, to go. And then over time, when I heard management was called adult babysitting and was something that people kind of shied away from, I jumped into that and learned that management is really just human psychology, which is like the thing that interests me more than anything else. And I absolutely loved it. And then when I went into the product team, I remember talking to uh, a PM on my team and we were dividing and conquering as we were relaunching uh, the platform at HubSpot. And we were talking about you know, basically networking, like talking to other best of breed SMB SaaS companies and figuring out how to strike a partnership. And he looked at me and shuddered and was like, that is my living nightmare to, you know, to sit down and have a beer with someone and exchange notes and figure out how to strike a deal. He really liked figuring out what to do with APIs and how to actually build the integration. And I realized 
Like that is my absolute happy place. Like I would do that for free, not as part of my career. And again, like I, I, I keep thinking about these things that feel very natural to me that seem not so, not so natural to other people or not necessarily even popular. And it allows me to compliment people's blind spots and then lean on people who compliment my blind spots. I've leaned on that in my MBA and I continue to lean on that here at Slack. To uh, double down into that a little bit, was it more through your personal experiences that you, that you realized sales was the right fit for you or were there people guiding you, a mentor or manager or somebody that helped uh, you realize that that might be a better fit for you or a direction that you should consider? No, no one guided me to it. In fact, I, I have HubSpot CEO to thank for falling into sales. I interviewed with him and he put me in the position and I had no idea what it meant when I was joining. Um, but I'm a natural, you know, phone talker or fan of long dinner parties or anything that involves just getting to know people on a really deep level and asking questions and hearing people's stories. And so sales ended up uh, just feeling very, very natural to me. But to be fair, like it, it was not a career aspiration. And even while in sales and loving it and in sales management and loving it, it continues not to be my North star per se. Like I like helping people and companies solve problems and I like connecting uh, with customers. And I got a chance to do that um, from a product perspective in a really meaningful way at HubSpot. And I do it wearing all sorts of hats at Slack too. Um, so I think the, the guiding force has been trying to pay extra close attention to what I go to bed at night thinking about, what I wake up in the morning thinking about, and where I light up during meetings and in my, and in my uh, professional work, and then trying to craft the role around that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do try to pay attention, too, to um, fellow leaders and um, things that I get the sense that they dread or aren't their same happy place and try to step in to balance that out for them um, so that, you know, so that we're all doing more of what we love. That's a great way to position it. Um, you, you briefly touched on Slack. Um, so that's where you are today. Yeah. Um, would love to hear a little bit more about your current uh, role at Slack and what some of your responsibilities look like. So the, the role has evolved quite a bit at Slack and I'm happy to go into that. Um, today, I oversee Slack's SMB and mid-market sales organizations, which basically means overseeing revenue for all customers below 1,500 employees. Um, and what it entails today is um, a team of sales reps and leaders um, spanning about 80 people across a couple of countries and a number of different geographies. Perfect. And, and you talked about the evolution of that role over time. Maybe you could briefly touch on what that looked like. Yeah. So this is interesting. It kind of connects to what I was talking about earlier in um, listening to your gut and not necessarily going for the most popular path. So when I was graduating business school, I had a lot of VCs and CEOs whispering in my ear saying that I needed um, to pursue some sort of um, enterprise sales kind of checkbox on the resume beyond the early days at HubSpot. And I could tell very much like that was the more popular path to choose in sales. But there was, you know, I I have no aversion to enterprise sales. In fact, today my team does it. 
but that wasn't something that I was hell bent on pursuing. I was more interested in who I was going to be working with, what kind of problem I was going to be solving and where my skill set would fit in really nicely. So when I first met up with Kevin Egan and Bob Fratty, who lead our sales org here at Fox, um, I basically just said, I, I want to lead a chunk of go to market and work with you. You tell me where I'm needed. And we thought about it for a while and there were a bunch of different pockets. And then we ended up uh, landing on building out what was then the SMB org, which was completely nascent. And the beauty of that was that there were, there, there was basically a ton of opportunity to exercise creative judgment um, and influence. So I inherited a team of one phenomenal manager um, and seven reps. And over time, that team evolved to become a mid-market org. We ended up um, shifting all the SMB reps mid-market up to mid-market and then hiring more of a mid-market field sales profile into the role. We ended up promoting a number of managers from within, opening up uh, many new geographies, and then um, also hiring some from the outside. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's evolved quite a bit in terms of whom we sell to, um, our approach to selling to folks, um, and the amount of experience that's on the team. So it's been a really, really fun journey. You know, as you were scaling that team, I'm kind of curious, uh, Danny, what was like the size of the org when you started at Slack compared to now? I got to join Slack at a really, really lucky time. Um, frankly, it was much bigger than any other company I was considering upon graduating school. And, um, I was still very intrigued by it because um, product market fit had been completely nailed. Like customer love for Slack is through the roof, but go to market was in its very earliest days. So I think company wide, the org was close to 800 employees when I joined, but I'll give you a, a sense of what sales looked like. So Bob and Kevin had joined um, recently a couple months before I joined, um, we had introduced segmentation for the first time. Salesforce.com is a system of record for the first time. Specialization of roles between account execs and solutions engineers and customer success for the very first time. And um, territories, quotas, et cetera. So like it had just, just transitioned from hiring a bunch of um account reps, quote unquote, who were basically really smart, passionate utility players who could answer any sort of customer question to starting to specialize in our roles. And um, there were no playbooks built and we were like in, in very early days of just kind of getting it off the ground. Um, the sales org itself, I don't know how large it was. I would guess it was about um, 50 or so folks across the org, perhaps a little bit bigger. And today it will be, um, it will be, I think in the 500 globally, uh, across the sales work. Wow. That's crazy. So the reason I asked was you started at about 800 folks. I think if uh, LinkedIn's up to date and I just pulled it up, it's about 2,400 now. So I believe that's three X. How have you guys maintained mm -hmm. a strong culture on the sales team the and map, maybe even yeah. across the, go uh, the org? while growing so rapidly. I, I imagine it changes as it gets, you know, larger, it has to kind of evolve, but I'm curious how you guys like maintained its strength and then maybe how has it, you know, grown or changed for the better? 
And also just to add to that question, the the company also went public during that time. So I think that probably throws a little bit of a a wedge in there as well. Um, I really like the concept of um, thinking through how the culture should evolve rather than um, how to maintain a culture because you never want to bottle up a culture in its entirety and hold on to the glory days of being a startup or it means, you know, your org isn't growing and thriving the way you hope it to. So evolution is exactly what we're aiming for. Um, I think that there are a number of things that, um, the, that we have, have done, um, uniquely well and that I would encourage other leaders to embrace. So the, the first part of building a culture that you're proud of is um, investing deeply in the hiring process and um, actually having a, a true process behind it um, that is repeatable, that is regimented, that um, designs against bias and allows us to get work sample tests as much as possible for the things that will be important within the role. So, um, so we have quite a thorough uh, and structured process for getting to know our candidates. And by the end of it, I really feel like I have a good sense of whether someone would be a really good addition um, to our team's culture and whether they're set up for success in the role. So that's part one. Part two is um, deriving and articulating really clear values across the organization. And I think this can be done company-wide, of course, and we have core attributes that um, that we care about at Slack and a set of values. Um, but I also think it can be done specifically at the org level. So within my org, um, the leadership team and I have spent a lot of time thinking about who are we and how do we operate. And we try to distill that down into two core values um, that drive the way that we behave internally within meetings and externally with customers. We share that with the team. We invite feedback and input. And then that's what we publicly reinforce and privately reinforce um, with the entire field. And I think that's that's basically how you build a culture that you're proud of. Um, and so one of those values for us um, within the mid-market org, um, actually one of the values of culture is a competitive advantage. And one of the ways that we think about that is six regions, one team. And we had that value well before COVID and a shift to remote work has completely taken over, but it served us really, really well in this time because we were already kind of set up to operate um, with constant feedback and sharing between Toronto and New York and Denver and San Francisco and Vancouver. Um, so yeah, that's, that has been, um, that's been really meaningful for us here. Uh, given the shift to remote work, you, you touched on that briefly. Um, it sounds like you you have a team that does that that are field reps that do work in person remotely. They may be set up well to work internally together. What other kinds of shifts have you had to um, adapt to in terms of selling and your sales process and process and working with customers in this new environment? Yeah, I mean, even at Slack, when we um, sell a tool that's kind of made for remote work collaboration in part, um, it's difficult and it's required a transition. So um, particularly with the mid-market org, it is largely a field sales team. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hybrid team. As in we, we go into the office, but we take almost all our meetings in person when we can. Um, that's a key metric that we track 
in our Salesforce dashboards and through troops into Slack. And um, it's been a shift to take that off the table and to rely exclusively on Zoom. So what that's meant for us is figuring out a way to build customer empathy virtually because that's really what you're working on when you go into the office. Like it's a combination of being able to literally stand in their shoes and see what their surroundings look like and get a sense of the company culture and the vibe in the office and therefore be able to better visualize if and how you can help. Um, And it's also like there's an element of rapport that's harder to recreate virtually. So what I have encouraged and what I've seen work well for folks is really just leaning into the the mess that we're all in and leaning into the vulnerability to facilitate a more meaningful bond with our customers and our prospects. So when it comes more tactically, like when it comes to Zoom, um, I've seen some folks use virtual backgrounds of the company that they're talking to. So you can virtually put yourself in their shoes and it's kind of like a way to show that you've done your research and you're right there with them. And I think that's great. Um, and in the absence of something like that, I would encourage people to actually, um, keep their background off. Like don't have that golden gate bridge background, hiding the fact that your husband and eight month old are running around the house behind you and living life as you try to juggle everything. Um, I would let that show and invite your customers to have their babies on the call and talk about life and talk about what the shift has felt like and also talk shop because like they, they're all interconnected. It's the reality we're all living in. And so, um, I don't know, I guess it, 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 it's an excuse to get real faster and develop a relationship um, and a level of intimacy faster. Yeah, I think that might be an advantage of these times because oftentimes when you're in, when we're in our typical working environment, you just get to talking shop really quickly. Everyone has an agenda. There's things to do. Um, you may not get to be exposed to your customers or be exposing your own human side as much. So I think that is a really interesting aspect of what's going on today. That's exactly right. Like just because you're on a phone call or you're on Zoom with video doesn't mean that you should skip over rapport and kind of cut to the chase. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a assumption or a belief that people should throw away. I would encourage people to continue booking hour long meetings as though you would, if you were coming in for an in-person and lean into, yeah, lean into the unscripted parts of the call as much as you can and trust that that's going to serve you well in figuring out how to help customers. Since this week we're talking to Danny from Slack, we wanted to look at the data around communication for people working from home. According to Buffer's annual State of Remote Work report from 2020, the two biggest challenges for remote work are pretty much a tie between collaboration and communication and loneliness. And in total, they account for about 40% of the responses. And these have been the top challenges for the past three years. So now that nearly everyone in the B2B space is remote, this challenge will only increase. Stick around for today's micro action for a tip on how to improve team communication. And as a manager, how do you specifically get visibility into what's going on with deals, um, with those customer conversations? Um, I mean, there are those in-person one-on-ones that you may have been having with reps and managers on your team that are no longer happening. So how do you maintain that sense of 
uh, reality and visibility. My approach as a leader has never been to sit in on every single customer meeting anyway. I, mean, I love to join them when I can. Um, but as a leader, you really need to trust your managers and uh, your reps to over-prepare. Um, so that's really what we've been doing. We've been having meetings before customer meetings to anticipate what questions are going to come up, uh, what objections we might face, what uniquely may be um, hurting uh, our customer in their industry, given everything that's going on, and role-playing, essentially, like you're selling a tool that's perfect for this, role-play to see how you would anticipate and address that kind of a question either through a customer story or through a follow-up question to dig a little bit deeper. And that's what will set you up. Um, I don't think there's anything different about this time in terms of a need for leadership's involvement in customer meetings. Like if you should be in the room, you'll be in there virtually. If not, then you just need to help, help the field practice and get really, really comfortable and then let them do their thing. Um, and to a certain extent, of course, rely on dashboards um, to understand where, if at all, conversion rates are breaking down. Like, so if someone had 10 hour long Zoom meetings um, with leaders at their prospects companies over the course of a week, and none of those turned into pipeline generated, that warrants a conversation, of course, to figure out how they're managing those meetings and what's happening. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I don't think there's there's all that much that really needs to change. And, and on those lines, I'm, I'm curious, you know, now that we're working from home and visibility has shifted and maybe expectations have shifted, I'm curious if uh, how you guys and what you guys are measuring from a productivity standpoint has changed at all. I measure the same things regardless of whether we're in the same office or whether we are remote. Every new hire uh, on my team at Slack here is this. So the, the three core um the three core things that will make someone successful in this role are attitude, number one, inputs, number two, and outputs, number three. And I feel like all of those are really easy to get a sense of even today. So attitude is, are you the one rallying the team, especially when times are hard and making it that much more fun to be a seller at Slack and an employee at Slack? You know, do you face adversity with some sort of resilience? Do you take feedback really well and actually seek it out? Like to me, nothing is a greater predictor of a sales rep success or even a leader's success than their attitude that they come in with. And then inputs, inputs are pretty clear to track uh, through all sorts of other mechanisms. So that's basically like how many times is someone picking up the phone and calling their customers? Um, what's the quantity and quality of their emails, um, how many of those tend to get responses. Um, so that's, that's really important. And luckily our tooling allows us to measure all of that and work on it. And then the last part is outputs, which is basically how much uh, revenue have you produced. But that clearly comes as a result of attitude and quality and quantity of input. So we've been talking a lot about um, how your team and company have evolved internally and some of your processes and things that you're putting more front and center given the changes in the in the macro environment. I'm curious if you have had to rapidly evolve 
messaging, positioning, or general go-to-market. Have you had to make any of those tweaks kind of more broadly? Yes and no. If you go back to our S1, um, you will see that, you know, we weren't necessarily built for remote work per se, like that's not the call out, um, but we're built for organizational agility, which is essentially what is needed more than anything else right now. So like, how do you pivot on the fly? How do you uh, get alignment across all sorts of stakeholders, across different offices and different functions and march to the same tune? So um, on one hand, I kind of feel like this is what we have been selling and positioning all along. On the other hand, um, we have launched a remote work hub um, that specifically helps guide employees of other of our customers and our prospect companies on how to make this shift when it feels a little bit less intuitive. And um, we've really leaned heavily into that. We've run a number of webinars. We've run um, many hundreds of remote work consultations um, for free for anyone who wants it, whether they're a customer or not, just kind of teaching them best practices and, and getting folks across all of Slack um, to help out there. And um, yeah, I think we, we, Stuart has shown amazing executive leadership in making a decision to offer Slack to, for free to um, folks at the front lines fighting COVID and needing a way to collaborate and figuring out how to do so. So we were made to do exactly this. On the other hand, we're now trying to speak the exact language and try to meet customers where they are as they navigate a shift uh, faster and more in more of a condensed time frame than they ever expected. Has any of this stuff that you were doing in office in terms of maybe coaching your leaders uh, that report to you or just coaching your reps, I imagine you guys had some probably good cadences and some good kind of process in place while we were in the office. Now that we're working remotely, I'm curious uh, if and how that has all transitioned over and if you guys are, you know, kind of like a new stride, if you will, in terms of how you're coaching. We absolutely have. And it, to borrow your word from earlier, it evolved week by week. Um, as we settle into this new reality. So, and frankly, I think it actually, um, it levels the playing field a little bit because before I could turn around and with my manager who's in San Francisco, well, I could just walk over to her and ask her a question or run something by her. And it's, there's a little bit more of a formality or a little more friction in hopping in onto a Zoom or calling managers who sit in other geographies. And now we're all remote. So we're all in the same boat. I love that. Um, what we've taken to is more frequent meetings, um, but much shorter time frame. So week one of remote work, we had um, almost a daily stand-up across my leadership team just to check in and see how's everyone doing? How are their teams doing? Um, what do we need to do right now to empower everyone to continue doing their job and also feeling sane. Then over time, we realized, you know, four stand-ups a week felt like overkill. So we cut that down a little bit. And our approach so far has been kind of a combo of understanding the personal and professional. So sometimes in a leadership stand-up, we'll spend the entire 30 minutes just doing a, um, a check-in that we've used in our, in our off-site, which is red, yellow, green. So, um, We'll say, you know, 
and say, I'm red if I'm really distracted, like there's other things going on outside of work life that are taking up a lot of mind share. And so I can't quite be as present as I'd like to be in my role today. I'm green if I am completely energized, feeling present, ready to seize the day, and I'm yellow if I'm something in between. And so it feels like right now, more than ever, that's been a really worthwhile check-in to understand um, how and when we can meet on each other and support one another and what the reality is that people are facing that we might not be able to, to see in their body language or in their facial expression. And then other times we just use our leadership Slack channel to say, here's the topic that we want to cover that's top of mind. And, um, and then we jump straight in and, and talk shop, cover the meat of it, have some deliverables and, and hop off. That's really interesting. You are the second person this week to enlighten us on red, yellow, green, because Sheena and I have all really who else about, yeah. brought it up. Catherine Stewart of uh, Automatic, Chief Business Officer at Automatic. Yeah, I love the framework. My husband taught it to me after he went to um, a reboot workshop in Colorado with Jerry Colonna, who's an executive coach, and it's a really nice structured way to get real with one another and acknowledge that we're multidimensional. So it's worked well for me and my team. This tip is awesome. The, the mm-hmm. red, yellow, green. And I think, uh, I think, Sheena, we should add this to our Monday meeting. I think so. I, I would love mm-hmm. to. I think one of the, the best things about Slack is the ecosystem of integrations and apps uh, and information that you can plug into Slack. So you have all this information in one place. Um, it also makes it fun as well. Um, I'm curious what your favorite Slack integration mm-hmm. or if you have a favorite Slack hack and what that is like asking to choose your favorite child, which is easy for me. But (laughs) I would imagine might be harder for you, Sheena. Um, I would say here, one integration that I absolutely love that my team and I and and the customer support team and frankly, everyone across the company leans on every single day is Guru. Um, And for those who are unfamiliar, Guru is a knowledge management tool. And um, and it's built on top of Slack. It integrates beautifully. And it's a way for me to have the most trustworthy, up-to-date information about anything I need, be it um, a, a feature within the tool, be it an internal policy. I used it to figure out you know, to, it, whether Good Friday is a company holiday um, in one country versus the other. Like we, we basically just use Guru to be the source of truth for anything um, that we'd need to know about within the company. And it's really very intuitive to navigate and, um, and works very nicely with Slack. We have, I think we built it homegrown. Devin, you may know better, but I know we have an integration where we mm-hmm. see every sales, uh, every sales meeting that's booked and we see every uh, deal that is closed one in Slack. So that makes for a lot of uh, in- engagement. You know, po- folks will put like a really funny emoji that may connect to that customer, um, you know, that customer's business and what they do. There's a lot of encouragement and congratulations that happen along with that. So I think that's probably the fav- my favorite one that we do at Gong. I'm really glad that you guys are using that. I love that it posts into your Slack. Um, and we, we use Troops, um, which is another, um, another tool that integrates really nicely into Slack. Um, Every time someone on the sales dev team books a meeting for a rep, it um, posts kind of like a celebratory post into a channel 
and they get public recognition for it. And there's all sorts of supportive emojis, just like you were saying, and a good back and forth with the sales rep and great exposure. So I love that. I would encourage you and any other company who has that um, sales channel within Slack um, to invite your board members into it. It's one of the most fun channels, I think, for a board member to be able to follow along with. And imagine how great it would feel if you are a new BDR who's just set up an amazing appointment or sales rep who's who's spent a lot of time getting to know a prospect and closing a deal. And then someone from the executive team or even the board level chimes in with recognition. It's just like such a great way to to unify lots of disparate groups. We see, for example, our our product and engineering team um, chiming into the sales channel quite a bit. Um, showcasing their support and really, really nice. Well, we are going to head into our wrap-up questions here. And so, Danny, we're curious, what are you most excited about in 2020, both from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint? Easy on the personal front. I was supposed to fly on March 20th um, to Boston along with Sadie, my daughter, and Jake, my husband, um, to celebrate my grandma's 90th birthday. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we had to cancel that. And so my grandma, my baba, hasn't met Sadie yet. So I am dying to get onto a flight whenever that's a thing that we do again and introduce her to um, to her great-grandma in Boston. And, um, and then on the professional front, um, what am I most excited about in 2020? I'm really excited for the impact that we at Slack can have with healthcare organizations. We had already brought on a number of really impactful organizations across biotech and healthcare technology and pharmaceutical companies, but I am really excited for us to continue leaning into that. Like there's, especially right now, there's no type of company or organization that I want to support more than a healthcare organization. And I think and it's a newer vertical from Slack's original early adopters. So I'm really excited to see more and more customer stories coming out of there and be able to facilitate Slack within those organizations. And lastly, how would you describe sales in one word? That's a good one. Listening. I like that. And maybe elaborate why. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think you are selling a tool that is going to reinforce the discipline of listening and remind us how hard it is to hit the internal or physical mute button and be patient and let someone else share. I think, um, I think we learn the most about if and how we can help someone when we let, we give someone the space to actually talk through what's hurting in the business or what opportunities they see. And I think it's really tempting to jump in with a sales pitch or with, assumptions or think that to be helpful, you need to be the one talking. Um, And so I think listening is a skill that I am constantly trying to practice and is really, really hard. And the best, uh, the best people in sales and the best leaders and management, I think do it really well. That's terrific. And also a great reminder for all, for us to all, be a little bit more mindful and ensure that we are truly paying attention and giving that space uh, for anybody that we may be conversing with, uh, that we're truly listening to what they have to say and, and understanding how they may be feeling and thinking. 
well, you guys are professionals at it. You are hosting a podcast. You are like, you're living it every single day. So, um, so yeah, I think I appreciate the question. Well, thank you, Danny. This was a really wonderful conversation. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy, uh, your busy day to day of what's going on and uh, having this conversation with both Devin and I. Yeah. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. I, I so appreciate it. I was really honored to join and you know, what better time to subscribe to a podcast than right now. So I, <laughs> I love that you guys are doing this and, and helping find a way to support everyone and staying sane and feeling productive, even as we're just adjusting to a new reality. For this week's micro action, we tested the exercise that Danny shared the red, yellow, green one to begin our team meeting and want to suggest that you try it out as well. Here's why. Meeting fatigue has now become a digital reality as back-to-back meetings pile up. As a result, it's really easy to get straight to business instead of taking a few minutes to connect on a human level. And since everyone is adapting differently to work from home and shelter in place, it's important to let your team feel heard and share highlights as well as address some of their individual concerns. So to get started, kick off your next team meeting by explaining the exercise to everyone and offer to go first. This will set the tone for an honest and vulnerable conversation with your team. The goal is to listen and really hear what's working well or what's troubling them. For our team, we learned a couple teammates have family members overseas and the pandemic is affecting them differently than the rest of the team. Others voice that work from home is flat out challenging and others shared morning routine ideas to help stay focused. Bringing this awareness to the team allowed us to rally around them and provide additional support. Give it a try in your next team meeting and watch how your team culture evolves for the better. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.